0: Stay in your life. I know, exactly, okay. <laughs> exactly. Our team just put, Dean just made a comment, our team just put tape on here to keep me within a certain parameter. How well do you think that's going to go this morning? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm so thankful for our elders. I love Larry, if you can tell. Larry and I have slightly different personalities, and so it's a very nice balance with our elder chair that I love. Uh, we, uh, we are uh, digging into the Gospel of Luke that we launched last week. Uh, And so uh, if you're new to church or faith, uh, we put the words up on the screen uh, every week. Um, I heard a pastor one time say we tried to get the author in for a book signing, but he was unavailable and that he said he's going to come back again someday at a time we don't know when. Um, So we love just putting up the words on the screen because we want to sit under the authority of the text and hear from God through his word And so uh, we we put those words up on the screen, uh, believing that we are a community that sees great relevance in these words, not just information to be digested, but actually a revelation that's been given to us by God that we get to experience him through his word. And so uh, last week, we talked about this. Uh, idea of having an everyday meeting. Now, don't confess one way or the other if this was true of you, but did you set your alarm to 104 as a reflection of your faith that God might show up in a way as we pray with desperate dependence and as a reflection of Luke 1.4, uh, that, that we are growing in our certainty of who uh, Jesus is and what he came to accomplish Uh, And and my father-in-law told me this one time, it it feels, and it rings true sometimes for my life, that we're secular humanists with a spiritist vocabulary. We're secular humanists. We operate much like those that don't have faith, and yet we add spiritual jargon and vocabulary to our words. Do we really believe that God is inviting us into something today, Do we actually believe that God of the universe is intimately involved orchestrating the events of life? Or is it just words we add, uh, this spiritual jargon? We act much like secular humanists with this spiritual vocabulary. And so what I love about What we're going to see in Luke's words, he's going to begin verse 5. He told us a little intro statement, and now he's dropping us in first century Palestine as Gentiles, writing to a Gentile reader. He's trying to give this background, and where he's going to drop us is this beautiful landscape of of how God is working out the circumstances. So as we jump into Luke, open your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah 40, and... um, sometimes I just say stuff that is funny in my head. You guys understand that, right? So Isaiah 40 is where we are jumping in. And just want to do a little background. Um, and And as we jump in, it's going to be Isaiah 40. And we'll start with verse 1. And just even, sorry, before I even put that on, and I do this all the time, you guys probably just, I lost about 50% of you guys right there because you were all reading the slide. Is that about right? 50% of you guys? So what I love about Isaiah, first 39 chapters, if you've ever read the thing, it is just God judging his people, not the nations, his people that treasure him, that are following him. And he's just putting them on blast for 39 chapters about the judgment that's to come. And then he shifts gears in chapter 40. So much so that some people think it's like two different authors, two different books, volume one and two, but he switches gears in verse 40. And and here's, here's what he says. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that our warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and every hill be made low, and, and the uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so imagine, so I go fly fishing with my dad, and sometimes you're in high brush. You ever been in a place where you gotta like knock down the weeds? Does this sound familiar for anybody's experience, maybe when you go hunting? So I follow my dad. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff, actually, so again, I, you guys, I'm expecting more of the 1030 service, guys. I have a high degree of expectation for the 1030. So I'm following my dad usually because he's the one that has to knock down the brush, right? I follow him, and all the other things have been pressed down, right? He's making a way. In anticipation of my arrival a king in that time would send a party out to make way for the king that they would make sure the place that they were going to be arriving shortly was safe that was free of any problems we we do this airplane thing so if you modernize the illustration we do this airplane thing up in oshkosh any of you guys ever been to that thing so what's like one of the big what's like one of the big jets that they land like What would be one of those big jets that they, that, that's like the largest one in that air show? Airbus the Airbus A380. Again, I knew second service would come through. First service just bombed that question. So imagine the Airbus, what is it? A380. The Airbus A380. I imagine that's a fairly big plane for those that are novice plane people. And so what do you got to do? You actually have to have a massive, a massive runway. For a big jet like that to land, someone has to prepare the way for that thing to land. John is actually, or, or Luke is going to tell us about who that is, but we see another story hinting at what's going to cap- come in Malachi chapter 3. Turn over to Malachi chapter 3, and I love that I actually hear some pages turn. If you're unaware where Malachi is, it is the last book of the Old Testament in the organization we have. So if you know where Matthew is, just find Matthew and go left a few pages. And so in Malachi 3.1, this is the last book before God no longer speaks in the authoritative way he had been through his prophets for 400 years. And here's what Malachi records. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. And the very last words in our Old Testament, before this period of 400 years of silence, these are the last words Malachi records. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, or an Elijah the prophet. And so, if you're unfamiliar with Elijah, this dude was known for just calling the people of Israel out on their idolatry. He he would just take names, right? He would just go to the carpet and start cracking skulls and call people out. And, and he would be this really dynamic uh, communicator against the nation of Israel. And behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of his fathers. Listen for these words, because Luke is going to pick these words up. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Thus says the Lord, and the last words from an authoritative prophet for 400 years. And so you can imagine. There's this period where people are trying to understand, God, God, are you present? (laughs) Are you actively involved in this situation? Uh, Are you aware of the plight of your people? Are you conscious? They waited for 400 years. How long does it appear we've been waiting? A long time. And so Luke is going to drop us right in this first century Palestine. And this is where he begins his narrative. He begins... With the unborn baby, John, and the anticipation of John's arrival. Here's where Luke begins. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, picking up the language, God's continued story being written, picking up that language from Malachi and Isaiah. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then stinking Zechariah, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. And some wives are thinking, "Man, how do I get that for my husband? Is there a possibility that I could just put the mute button on him for an extended period of time?" And behold, these are the ideas that just run through my head. Do they run through your head when you read the biblical text? These are the things that go through my head. Things take place because you did not believe my words, which was. Be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And so we do this every week. We we begin by asking, what is that big idea that we're going to uncover? And so I'm going to ask you, even just for a, a second, don't respond out loud, but what is that? What is that big idea that Luke, as he begins his gospel, wants us to feel the weight of, wants Theophilus to experience? What is that? What's that big idea Here's where I think he's taking us. Luke begins his narrative with a story that is all-important. It's an all-important thing for Theophilus to see about the history of Jesus. What is that? That it's originated and guided by a sovereign God. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like we just think Jesus stepped on the scene. You know, there was this Old Testament God. He was angry. He was mean. And then Jesus makes him happy, and it's a happy place. Instead, there's this incredible continuity that we get to participate in. It originates with and is guided by the sovereign God that God fulfills promises. He answered prayer, and he initiated the kingdom through the announcement of the advent of a special baby. All of this to increase our certainty. And our hope in Christ. So as we jump in, pray with me and we will, uh, we will dive into this text together. Oh God, you're so good. Uh, as we begin this journey through the words of Luke uh, to increase our certainty in who you are in the midst of, in the midst of challenging circumstances, uh, may we hear Luke's heart as he tells and recounts this story, and as he begins with the birth of John, help us feel the weight of what he is inviting to in the very first part of his gospel. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's, here's where we're started. starting. Here's the three ideas I think we're going to walk through this morning, that God is sovereign and we prepare to receive his sovereign gaze. And God's plan for us and our good, as we see in Zechariah's story and Elizabeth's story, may include pain and disappointment. And then as we see the way Zechariah and Elizabeth respond, how we respond to God's promise of power reveals our faith. So here's where we'll start. God is sovereign, and we prepare to receive his sovereign grace. And so Luke starts, it begins with this setting. It begins with Luke framing the circumstance for us. And it's in the days of Herod. And Zechariah is a descendant of Aaron through Abijah, Abijah, either one. And Elizabeth is also a descendant of Aaron. And that during Zechariah's division's turn to serve, he was selected to burn incense. And so here's where Luke begins. In the days of Herod, king of Judah... Do you guys know Herod? Does that sound like a familiar name? Was this like so-so Herod? This was Herod the so-so, Herod the common. Anybody remember what this guy is? Herod the great, right? So this guy wanted to be recognized among his time period. And so Luke, that's going to be later in his narrative. He's going to tell us more about Herod. But Herod the great, it becomes the place and time, historical component as Luke's writing this. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now now here's the crazy thing. So priests, there was 24,000 priests, and Aaron, kind of the guy that all these descendants came from, pretty special then to be a priest, but like spiritual brownie points, if you marry a wife from that line as well. Priests were male, but to marry a, fee, a wife from that line? Man, this is like spiritual brownie points here. So he wants Luke wants to tell us, these are like really good people. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving... As a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And I know some of you are like, why are we talking about all these details? Relevance is about to come, maybe in about seven minutes, seven and a half. So stay with us or go to sleep for seven minutes and then we'll be back. But here's here's Luke trying to frame what's going on. 24,000 priests... These priests would come and burn incense in their division, one at 9 a.m., one at 3 p.m. from a particular division. So how, how big of a deal do you think it is that Zechariah is getting to do this? doesn't come around that often. Thank you, Buck. Buck is with me. Thank you, Buck. So it doesn't come around that often. And so Luke is trying to prompt us to say, this is, this is a big deal. And then... Again, not that you guys care about this stuff, but here's a look at that temple as it would have been in that day. And and so, so here's a unique pathway of how this came. David, if you remember David, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. They had a tabernacle. David wanted to build a temple, but because of some of his sins and bloodshed, God said, no, your son Solomon's gonna build a temple. So in 986, Solomon constructs the first temple And then the Babylon Empire comes in and conquers Jerusalem, lays siege, and destroys the temple. And then a few years later, Persia conquers Babylon, and they rebuild the temple in 583. And that's where Nehemiah Ezra, where they build a wall around the temple, right? So we we remember a wall around the city. And then in 20 BC, Herod now steps on the scene and He wants to be recognized as a very benevolent guy, and so he starts adding some things, and that's where we find ourselves. And so Zechariah is entering into this space. He's not going into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, but he's in this other very holy place, right? We kind of take it for granted. We're like, man, I could talk to God anytime I want. For them, this was it. This was the space that God dwelled. He dwelled in a physical space with the people, we take it for granted. I could pray and I'm in the immediate presence of God. Zechariah is going into this space. How big of a deal? Again, pretty special that he is entering into this space. And there were three things in that space. So you can't quite see it in that picture. So, this is an older picture of the, the, the tabernacle, but you can see it a little more clearly. Three pieces. You had the menorah, the golden lampstand, and you had this table that had the, the showbread, the bread of presents. It th- this very special bread. They made it once a week on Sabbath. And then these priests would come in at 9 and 3 and put incense on that altar for the Lord. So, so you're getting the sense from Luke of what's taking place. It's a big deal that Zechariah is entering this space as a priest. And he's giving us a little background on their story. But much like my kids, are you guys watching the Rings of Power right now? Does that mean anything? It's like the Lord of the Rings continued, or pre, I think it's the prequel. I watched Star Wars with my kids two nights ago. We watched episode one and two. Are you guys Star Wars fans? So I can't help, this is part of where my mind goes, I can't help now after watching Star Wars, I can't help but read this gospel slightly differently. You guys, does that strike you? When you read this, what comes to your mind? Luke. I mean, th- th- isn't that just what comes up? You're like, let's turn. Hey, let's turn to Luke. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're watching Star Wars. Here's what it feels like gets lost on us. The, the level of specificity in this stuff, we think just Jesus steps on the scene. Much like if I jumped into the Lord of Rings at like season, or, or movie one or two, or movie two or three, would I be able to understand the battle scenes? Sure, to some degree. Would I get excited about the characters? Absolutely. right. If I, if I jump in to episode two or three of Star Wars, do I have some sense of what's going on? Sure. But how much more fully when we actually get to see the arc of the story? When we get to see the whole story played out and where this particular moment in history fits? And so what it feels like is we lose the appreciation for what Luke is doing as he's telling us about the birth of John and how it's tied to this prophecy of God making the way through the birth of this child and how there have been priests offering incense before the Lord for 400 years. (laughs) 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every single day. And then we also get to see a prayer specific to Zechariah. Do you guys remember what his prayer was? He prayed... And yet it appeared God did not answer his prayer. That sometimes God's plan for us and our good may include waiting and pain and disappointment. Here's the detail Luke includes as he's telling about Zechariah. They both lived obedient lives, and their childless was not a result of sin. Here's what Luke told us. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, now here's the challenge. Because this concept that Luke shares feels like for us, we don't feel the weight of it. We don't feel the weight of what a childless couple would experience in that time. We, We can't fully appreciate the shame and the weight of what that would be. Because those are contradictory ideas to this this couple. To be blameless before the Lord and to not have a child are contradictory ideas. So much so that not having a kid or being barren could be grounds, would be accusing the wife of sinning and being able to divorce her because she's unable to produce a child. The the weight of this, and yet Luke tells us what about this couple? They're blameless. So they're waiting and longing personally for a child, framed within the waiting and longing for God to show up. Feels like personally, when we look around, sometimes we go, God, where are you? I'm doing my part. I'm living blameless and righteous before you. Why aren't you doing your part? There's these cries and burdens of our hearts that we pray for, and it appears, God, you either are just absent or you don't care. And yet what we see is that in the midst of pain and disappointment, God was actively involved. So here's where Luke continues to tell us the story. That God is sovereign and he's preparing his way in his time. And that God's plan for us and our good may include pain and disappointment at times. And here's what Zechariah tells us. How we respond reveals something about our faith. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So so Zechariah walks into the temple. He's just doing his thing. As special as this was, this was the Super Bowl. I can't help but think, he's just going through the motions on some level. I walk in, I put the altar, I do the thing, and then I get out. And then what happens? An angel shows up. Now, for some of you guys that, what was the show a few years ago that talked about angels? Maybe if you're in your 40s or 50s, this might be relevant, this show. Touched by an Angel. Does anybody under the age of 30 or 20 have any idea what Touched by an Angel is? Thank you, Jack. So there's this show called, yeah, Kevin's over there going, I have no clue what in the world Touched by an Angel was. So Touched by an Angel, how how do these angels usually show up? In what? In a car, right? Just everyday people, they'd show up. Kind of the, the soft lighting might, you know, help hint that it's an angel. Or, you know, the feminine features, like, oh, man, he's here. I, I, I go, how does, how does most angels' experiences start with? What's, what's the phrase they usually start with? Say that again? Fear not. This is like angel school 101, right? Fear not. This is what you're supposed to say because people are afraid when these guys show up. And so Zechariah, going through the process, burning his incense, an angel shows up, and here's what I love. So imagine, in that space, lighting this incense, and then next thing he knows, Gabriel is shouting at him, presence, fear not, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What's the prayer? For a child's. I can't imagine, because he tells us, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. We have these prayers and these desires and dreams that sometimes we go, God, are are you even present in the moment? Are you aware of the circumstances that are going on in our world? I'm a righteous, blameless person, been faithful, and yet you are not answering this prayer. And do you know the shame and the weight that it's bringing on us? And simultaneously, he's praying for God to show up and deliver his people. <laughs> week in, week out, these priests would go and pray, God, reveal yourself. Gabriel shows up and says, Your prayer has been heard. That personal prayer you've been praying for a long time is going to be answered in a disruptive, unpredictable way. You're going to have a son. <laughs> and this prayer for the nation, keep going. The prayer for the nation, And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great before the Lord. And what will he do? He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in spirit and in power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. (laughs) Gabriel, you've been praying. You've been standing outside the temple with other priests praying this prayer that God would deliver you as a people. And there's a personal prayer you've been praying, (laughs) longing for a child. And God says, Your prayer has been answered. But how does Gabriel or how does Zechariah respond? Don't miss this. How does Zechariah respond? How can I be sure? Luke is going to contrast Zechariah's response to a teenage girl we're going to see next week named Mary and the way she responds. Because Zechariah's a what? He's a priest. I thought clergy were supposed to have this thing figured out. I thought clergy were supposed to have it all dialed in. Here's Zechariah's response. Don't miss this. And Zechariah said to the angel, "'How shall I know this? "'For I am an old man.'" And my wife is advanced in years. So the person that some would assume, you're the priest, standing in the holy place on the other side of this veil is the literal presence of God. And his response is one of extreme, I need more evidence. Now, do we think it's bad to doubt? Oh, I hope you don't believe that. I hope you believe asking questions and doubting is something we want to work through, but it's the way he goes about it. But asking questions, that is a beautiful thing. And Zechariah says, how shall I know this? And we as readers, if we're cued in, we should hear this about the birth of a child coming to a barren couple, accomplishing God's plan. That's not God doing a new thing, but what is that? It's a continuation of God's doing what he's always done. It would recall us back to Sarah and Isaac. That it's not about how but it is about a who. Sometimes we wanna know all the details of how this is gonna be accomplished. God, how are you gonna fix this situation? You look around, I don't know if you feel this. Another school shooting, poverty, sexual identity issues, gender issues. I mean, it's just overwhelming at times. And then I look at my own heart and then I go, I'm either just providing Casey more opportunities to be patient or there's something that needs to grow in my life, right? That there's a brokenness that I need to continue to grow And I get lost sometimes in the how. Instead, Zechariah and Luke is modeling from the beginning of his letter. It is about who. Do we depend on this God who is sovereignly working out his plans, sometimes in the midst of the pain and circumstances, but always for his glory? And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But if you want a sign, you didn't believe my words, I'm going to make you silent which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they had wondered at his delay. Because just imagine this. There is a rhythm to this, right? Priest goes in, burns the incense, comes out. God, even in accomplishing his plan, disrupts the flow of this religious ceremony. (laughs) They're in there going, what's he doing? What's he doing digging around? Why isn't he coming outside? And the final element that Zechariah would have done is, This benediction, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. Is he even able to fulfill those elements? He can't speak. God disrupts to accomplish his thing in his way. But often we act as secular humanists with the spiritist vocabulary. And he came out and was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. But Luke contrasts the faith of the guy that we would all assume would have known with whom? With his wife. And how does Elizabeth respond to these same circumstances? We see this air of humility and grace in her response. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden. Now commentators were split on exactly what that meant. I can't give you a good answer, but here's what she responded in her heart. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. That prayer that Elizabeth had prayed all those years ago, she had not forgotten and clung to the who. I imagine there are circumstances in your family, in your vocation, in your life that sometimes you lose sight and go, God, are you even aware and the prayers were so long ago and so distant that maybe they feel like a prayer you're not even willing to pray anymore. Some relationship is so severed that the loss of a friendship is so broken. Some, some, some relational tensions in work feel so damaged. Some of the desires or aspirations you had feel so far gone. And then you look at the cultural circumstances. They waited 400 years how long we've been waiting? <laughs> 2,000? God, are you aware? Do you know what's happening at the border, God? <laughs> Do you see some of the challenges that I look around Madison? And yet, it's not about a how, it's about a who that we continue to press into. And so, we begin with the end in mind. Last week, we talked about beginning with the end in mind. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, what would it look like if you showed up to a funeral? You got your family Ready? You went to the funeral, and then the person in the coffin is, or the person in the casket is? You. That'd be a little awkward. But you begin hearing your friends, your classmates, your family tell stories about you. What stories are they telling? We heard from Wally speak with this incredible confidence and certainty that he had at the end of life that actually plays back into our Monday to Saturday. And so we looked at a few ideas. A lack of certainty in Jesus. What does that lead to? Level of anxiety, a level of tension a lost we're lost in retirement we we find meaning in other things what might luke want for our life he wants an increased certainty and so what would it look like to have this singular pursuit of meaning what would it look like to have our time treasure and talent used for something beyond this life and so what's the biggest takeaway from zechariah and elizabeth where does luke begin i think we all have room to grow (laughs) The guy that was supposed to have it all figured out, (laughs) he dropped the ball. We all have room to grow. One of those ways to grow, do we believe that God answers prayers? (laughs) That shouldn't surprise us. (laughs) And yet, we actually should expect God to answer when we pray. Prayer is the work. Do we pray with desperate dependence for the lives around us that God is actually actively at work? Is there a prayer on your heart that feels decades old by now? Elizabeth and Zechariah, and yet Gabriel shows up in the time and God designed and says, Your prayer has been answered. <laughs> do we actually expect God to answer, or do we act more like secular humanists with a spiritist vocabulary? And God's plan for us and our good may include disappointment and pain. Sometimes we look at the disappointment and pain in life and say, God, what are you doing to me? Rather than actually seeing it as a way God is drawing us to himself to cause us to depend more on him. To have an everyday meeting with the king and ask, God, help me see the circumstances of my life through your eyes. And then, God keeps his promises and moves in unpredictable, disruptive ways. And angels aren't always needed. (laughs) Do we actually believe God is moving in and around us? Do we have increased certainty in that reality? So I welcome up the worship team. And I want to pray with that in mind. What is that prayer on your heart that seems almost (laughs) foregone? Maybe it's collectively in our culture. Maybe it's personally in your life, in your family. Do we believe God answers prayers This shouldn't come as a surprise? And that God's plan often or sometimes may include pain and disappointment, but we are convinced God is working out his plan, and he does keep his promises. Pray with me. Oh, God, you're so good. We want to hear from you through your word. We want to see how you worked in time past to accomplish your will and how you continue to work in and through the circumstances for your glory as we anxiously await your second coming. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen.